The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently, we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I am a boat rocker. Good day, America. Welcome, Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ people, all the boat rockers in the house, and anybody else I may have missed to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio, where we use the Bible and the Constitution, not to see who's on the right or the left, but who is on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S. occupied state of South Carolina, the editor at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, and for Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warns about. I hold to the book, the Bible. As the authoritative word of God, glad that you guys have joined us this morning. If you'd like to check us out online, please do so. SonsofLibertyRadio.com and also SonsofLibertyMedia.com. In fact, if you're listening by way of Red State Talk Radio and you want to watch the video portion of the radio show, that's right, you can see the faces made for radio, head over to SonsofLibertyMedia.com and you're going to see two videos at the top of the page. The one on the left side of the page is a Bradley show from yesterday. So if you would like to watch that, you missed it and you'd like to catch it, you can do so up until 3 p.m. Eastern today, at which time he'll be live in that area right there. The right side of the page is where we're at. Click on the play button, blow it up on whatever device you got there. Look for the Rumble icon, bottom right hand corner. Click on that. Uh, join us in the chat on Rumble. A lot of friends over there this morning. Good morning, you guys. Good to see all of you guys. Man, there's a lot of you in there this morning. Uh, in the chat part, at least. Uh, usually we have a lot of numbers and then, you know, we've got a few people that chat. There's a bunch of people chatting. So it's great to see you guys in there and appreciate your support over there. While you're at the page on Rumble, subscribe to the channel, please. The channel is Sons of Liberty Radio Live, Sons of Liberty Radio Live on Rumble. If you just, you know, if you want to skip everything else and just go to Rumble, you can do that. Uh, also, before it's news.com, top of the page over there, you can uh, see <clears throat> excuse me, we can, we can, what am I saying? You can watch us over there as well. And we appreciate Michael Roach and his team giving us a spot on their platform. Right up under where we're streaming live though on sonsoflibertymedia.com. Be sure to sign up for our email newsletter. Um, goes out once a day in the late afternoon or early evening. So in your inbox and you'll get all of the articles that we do for that day, including the morning show archive that'll be there. And uh, don't forget, if you're looking for something that I talked about, those archives are at sonsoflibertymedia.com. If you know the title of the show, if you know the gist of what we're doing or a keyword or something like that, there's a search box right up under there. You guys can search for that. Usually it'll come right up. Should be on the first page or so. Um, so be sure and uh, check that out, sonsoflibertymedia.com. Com. Okay, just real quickly, thank you for everybody who made comments yesterday. I didn't get to see all of them. Um, <clears throat> I made it through the show, and I was still a little weak. I, I still am kind of recuperating from some things here. Uh, but 
I, I appreciate the, the, the input that people gave. Uh, overall, I didn't see, um, you know, this mind numb kind of response. Now I may go over there this morning and, uh, which I didn't do and look in the comment section to see something else, but I appreciate the input that people had because mine, look, I didn't tell anybody not to go see a film. In fact, here's the thing. You want to watch that film? You can go online and watch it for free. You want to spend a dime. Okay. If that's the issue, um, if your conscience is bothered by that and you want to watch that film, that's great. Um, but you know, rest assured that, uh, things are not always what they appear to be, are they? Nope. And, uh, thank you to somebody who sent me, uh, Doug's or, or informed me of Doug. We, we played him from, uh, off grid with Doug and Stacy over on YouTube, his latest video in which he talks about things that happen as a child with him involving a, wait for it. What I told you about yesterday. A Catholic priest. Yep. And a cover up there. Mm -hmm. And that particular gentleman was eventually, I think the date he had on that was 2017. He was arrested and, uh, you know, praise God, but boy, there's no justice, none. And, uh, the Roman Catholic church is unwilling. They, they literally have thousands of cases before them every week, every week. They cover up, they move the guy around, they move him over here and move him over there, allow him to commit the same sins and crimes against uh, the children. And uh, it's it's really something. It really is. All right. Today, I'm going to I'm going to play a, a video that's really old. I came across this the other day. Some of you may have seen it. Some of you may not have seen. it. Um, but I'm going to play that in just a second. Just a couple of notes here on. Um, you know, there's some things that popped out of the news yesterday. Did you guys see this this deal here? Um, and I, I'm not gonna like uh, play a lot of sound because it, it it doesn't have any sound. This was uh, Senator Rand Paul's office yesterday. It was on fire, and this is allegedly after he sent in a request for an investigation into Dr. Fauci. And, um, yeah, that, look, this is how the enemies inside work against us. This is how they do it. And so now his offices have been burned. And, you know, I don't know what else is going on there, but uh, that was his offices yesterday. Uh, in other news, you guys hear about the body that was found at uh, Barack Obama's $12 million Martha Vineyard's property on Sunday evening. You guys heard that? That was big news yesterday. Um, big news. And I got to tell you, it sounds fishy to me. Something sounds fishy here. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you why. Let's go to the story here. Daily Mail, former White House sous chef for Barack and Michelle has been identified as the man found dead following a paddle boarding accident. Now, forgive me, but you're out there, you're on a paddle board, right? Now, unless I'm mistaken, paddle boards like a really big surfboard and you use a paddle to push yourself along, you're standing on it, right? And if you do that, I'm assuming you got to be a decent swimmer. 
Tafari Campbell's body was recovered on Monday by divers after going missing in the pond that Barack, that backs on to Barack Obama's sprawling $12 million estate. The 43-year-old vanished on Sunday evening while he was out with another paddleboarder on Edgartown, Great Pond, Massachusetts, and emergency crews were dispatched to Obama's residence. Okay, so we're told he's out with somebody else. He obviously can swim. I, you're not going to be out there on a paddleboard and can't swim. And if you can't swim, you're going to have a life vest on, right? So um, he was married and had 19-year-old twins. But here was the thing that got me. <clears throat> Witnesses first told cops on such. Now, he's supposed to be out with somebody, right? Isn't that what it said here? He was paddleboarding with somebody. Another powder, uh, another, uh, another paddleboarder. Witnesses first told cops on Sunday night that a man, later identified as Campbell, went underwater and then briefly reappeared as he struggled to stay afloat before submerging again around 7.46 p.m. It's not dark yet then, is it? Uh, I mean, I'm not up north. Maybe it gets a little darker a little sooner, but... It's still summertime, so it this is East Coast. I would think 7.46, you still got some sunlight up there. You've got witnesses who see it. Apparently, nobody goes and does anything to help the guy. Okay, that's, that's To me, that's just kind of weird to me. So they call in. Then we get this from the Chicago Sun-Times. Police also said Campbell was found approximately 100 feet from shore at a depth of about 8 feet. Eight feet. Now, could currents move him along in this and that? Now, sure. Sure. But uh, I, I'm going to tell you, I just, it sounds suspicious to me. That's just me. Could the guy have been intoxicated or something? Could he have, when he fell off, if he fell off, could he have hit his head, broke his leg, something like that? Yeah, sure. I'm just, you know, the guy's not that old. And it just, I don't know, something about it smells. Then there was this guy, <clears throat> um, Shaka Hislop. This is the guy from uh, ESPN. And um, <clears throat> let me uh, crank this up just a little bit. And this guy's live on the air. He's clearly had the shot. I'll show you that real quickly. But you can see him. He's kind of wobbling, laughing, and then faceplant. And the guy that he's working with, all these guys are over there. And I bet they're going, gosh, what happened to this guy? What, what's wrong with him? We don't know what happened. And you just kind of, I, look, I don't, when I see any of this, I, I don't laugh at them. I feel sorry for these guys. You know what? A lot of these guys have been brought up. Their parents gave them shots like mine did. They thought nothing of it. And they thought, yep, this is for my good. It wasn't just a government thing. It was something that had been instilled by their parents. And uh, and there he was. Now, he was given the shot. Check it out. Right there. There's his uh, Instagram page. Got mine. Get yours. Mm-hmm. And then here he is, shilling for Big Pharma. He's a former Toon goalkeeper and honorary president of Show 
I've show racism with the, uh, I don't know what they had there. Anyway, he's encouraging people to go get their shots. Yeah. That's who this guy is. And, you know, it's really sad that they become deceived and then they deceive others. I mean, it's just, it really is incredible. Uh, following along, I came across this other one and then we're going to get to our main deal here, which I, I don't know why, but uh, I didn't. There it is. Okay. I need to pull it down. I was looking up some other things and I forgot to pull the main video down. So I'm going to do that. And then we're going to play this one little clip here. This is, um, this is from a report from years ago too. And this concerns children. Experiments done on fragile defenseless children are extreme vileness and diabolical cruelty. Check this out. Six. The doctor had warned me that it would be bad. It was horrible. There was one attendant for perhaps 50 severely and profoundly retarded children. Lying on the floor naked and smeared with their own feces, they were making a pitiful sound, the kind of that it's impossible for me to forget. This is what it looked like. This is what it sounded like. But how can I tell you about the way it smelled? It smelled of filth, it smelled of disease, and it smelled of death. Perhaps the governor can defend and explain away the budget cuts for the Department of Mental Hygiene, and perhaps Dr. Miller can explain and defend the filthy dehumanizing conditions we found in this and other buildings, but they won't do it on this program. What we found and documented here is a disgrace to all of us. This place isn't a school, it's a dark corner where we throw children who aren't pretty to look at. It's the big town's leper colony. Meaning the attendants or the people that work there. He just sat there and his eyes like rolled and could start a drooling in the hotel room. We could see what was happening to him and, and it's like he would kneel right in front of him and say it. Tell us the truth now. You know, God will forgive you. It was so close, we thought we had it, that it just started to rock. He was that way that whole night, the whole next day, and he didn't start talking to people until two or three days later. This is not Nazi Germany. This is the United States. And yeah, that's a report from Geraldo Rivera. This is, that was, that's the United States. And if you guys remember, Dr. Fauci was working up there uh, up north. And they had, they created a graveyard for all these children that they'd experimented on. Maybe Rand Paul actually had a little more guts than maybe some of us thought he did. And that's why his buildings burnt. We'll see if he presses on. At least he had guts to send it over as an investigation and put it off on the DOJ, knowing that they're going to cover for it. But at least he had the guts to send it over there. Now, with that said, <clears throat> we're going to I'm going to play this video here in a second. Now, it's about um, 20 minutes long. It, the other day was the first time I had seen it. I had heard something about it, but I would never seen it before. And uh, this is so old. <laughs> One, it's in black and white. Two, it, 
Mike Wallace is the guy doing the interview here. And three, it begins with him advertising a cigarette. I, I just, I kid you not. It, many of you probably are old enough to remember when they did that stuff. I can remember magazines and stuff. I ne Well, no, I did. I think I did see some of those on television occasionally. But uh, nevertheless, that was one of the things that kind of kind of blew me away. But it's an interview with Margaret Sanger from way, way back. And you're going to hear it from her own mouth. You've probably read things about her. You've probably had other people tell you. This is going to be out of her own mouth. This is an angry, angry woman. Really is. But remember, she is one who was at war with God. And as I've said before, misery loves company. And she wanted the people of her day to be at war with God. Now, when you go back into the Genesis account, one of the things that you see there is uh, once, this, once sin took place, in fact, I should probably just open that one up as well. Um, <clears throat> once the fall had occurred, God came to Adam and Eve, and this is, this is what he said. In Genesis chapter 3, this is what we read. Let me see if I can blow this up for the audience. Verse 9, And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof? I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat. And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be me to be with me, she gave me the tree, and I did eat. So he, he's like, <laughs> Why couldn't you just said, I ate of it? Nope, he wanted to put the blame on God for giving him the woman, right? And then I did eat. But it was really your fault, God, because you gave me that woman, and it was her fault because she gave me the fruit. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that thou hast done? What in me? The woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I'll put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow in thy, con in thy conception. and sorrow thou shalt bring forth children. And thy desire shall be to thy husband. And he shall deliver thee. Now there's a key little thing here about desire. It doesn't mean some kind of sexual desire. Oh, he's a really, he's a really handsome guy. And I'm gonna, it's, this is part of the curse. She's going to try to usurp his headship. And he's going to rule it over her. So, so this whole kind of concept of uh, misogyny, if you will, that's part of the curse. And the whole idea of this militant feminism is part of the curse. Now, who breaks the curse? Jesus Christ does. He breaks the curse. And we're going to see how that happens uh, after we go through this, this interview here. Because it's very important to understand that Margaret Sanger 
was at war with God. She was at war with her fellow man because of the curse. She didn't have the curse broke over her body, over her life. She was deeply affected by the curse, just like all men, all women are, apart from Christ. They are under a curse. This is why Jesus would say he did not come into the world to condemn the world. Because why? The world was already condemned. He came into the world to save it. All right. So this is a Mike Wallace interview. And this is the woman <clears throat> that, from best understanding that I have, really brought war within the gates here. Uh, in the 20th century in the United States. And how did she do it? Attacking children and attacking the family. I mean, she was a Marxist. There's no question in my mind. So here it is. This is uh, this is the interview. It's It runs about 20 minutes or so. I think you'll find it very interesting if you've not seen it. And again, this is coming out of her own mouth. So when Planned Parenthood said, it tells you we're following the footsteps of our founder, you know, we're for women's rights and blah, 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 blah. I want you to know who their founder was in her own words. And here we go. They're giving a countdown here. <laughs> so I've got to keep some noise going for the radio audience. Good evening. What you're about to witness is an unrehearsed, uncensored interview on the issue of birth control. It will be a free discussion of an adult topic, a topic that we feel merits public examination. My name is Mike Wallace. The cigarette is Philip Morris. New Philip Morris, probably the best natural smoke you ever tasted, presents... Wallace interview. Tonight we go after the story of the woman who violated convention and bucked powerful opposition to lead the birth control movement in America. You see her behind me, she is Mrs. Margaret Sanger, who was thrown into jail eight different times for her efforts. If you're curious to know why Mrs. Sanger has devoted her life to the birth control movement, if you'd like to hear her answer to the charge that birth control is a sin, and if you want to get her views on politics, divorce, and God, we'll go after those stories in just a moment. My guests' opinions are not necessarily mine. The stations are my sponsors, Philip Morris Incorporated. But whether you agree or disagree, we feel that none should deny the right of these views to be broadcast. One might say that the basis of this program is fact and fiction. And using that yardstick, I'd like to apply it to something I usually talk about at this time, and that is this. Philip Morris cigarettes. Here's why I smoke them and enjoy them. <laughs> Fact one. Today's Philip Morris is no ordinary blend. It's a special blend of domestic and imported tobaccos. Opinion? My taste may be different from yours, but on this I think we can agree. This cigarette tastes natural. I think you'll like it. Fact two. Today's Philip Morris is made of mild, Lighter leaf tobacco. You can't make this okay. up. I mean, he's to doing me, the only the whole commercial. They don't even have a special commercial for it. He's doing it. Kind of mildness. There's no filter, no fooling. Absolutely no crazy. No artificial mildness because you see, there's nothing between you and the tobacco itself. And fact three is, of course, this box. Philip Morris was the first non-filter cigarette to come in a crush-proof box. Opinion: A cigarette that keeps better smokes better. 
So get with Philip Morris yourself and check these facts. And when you do, I think you'll find it's probably the best natural smoke you ever tasted. All right. Thank you very much for that. And now to our story. When Mrs. Margaret Sanger opened the first birth control clinic in the United States back in 1916, birth control was a dirty word. The police threw her into jail as they were to do seven more times during her crusade, a crusade that still faces the reasoning but unalterable opposition of the Roman Catholic Church. That crusade kept Mrs. Sanger away from her children for long periods. It helped to break up her first marriage, and she suffered constant harrowing social abuse. Mrs. Sanger, in view of all of that, let me ask you this first of all. Why did you do it? I realize that you had an intellectual conviction that birth control was a boon to mankind, but I'm sure that others have that conviction too. And so what I'd like to know is this. What events, what emotions in your life made Margaret Sanger a crusader for birth control? Well, Mr. Wallace, it's hard to say that any one thing has made one do this or that. I think from the very beginning, uh, I came with a large family. My mother died young, 11 children. That made an impression on me as a child. I was a trained nurse, went among the people. I saw women who asked to have some means whereby they wouldn't have to have another pregnancy too early after the last child, the last abortion, which many of them had. Sort of a number of things that are one after the other that really made you feel that you had to do something. There are some other possible reasons that suggest themselves on reading your, bio your biography by Lawrence later. Your mother, as you say, died prematurely after bearing 11 children. She was born a Catholic, was she not? She was born a Catholic, yes. And your, In Ireland. your father was a sort of a village atheist who clashed with church authorities. And because of his atheism, his earnings dwindled under community pressure. You and your brothers and sisters were known as, quote, children of the devil, end quote. Could it be then that in part at least, you were driven emotionally toward the birth control movement because of antagonism toward the church, because that was a way to fight the church? No, I don't think I had anything of the kind in mind. I was, uh, I was what I would call a born humanitarian. I don't like to see people suffer. I don't like to see cruelty, even to this day. And in nursing, you see a great deal of cruelty and unnecessary suffering. At that time, there was no opposition as far as the church was concerned, any church. It was mainly the law, mm -hmm. the federal law and state laws that one had to, uh, to think of. The church was not in my mind at all. Well, in going after your motive then, and I will press you just a little bit more about that and then get to the specifics of this evening. But in your motive, in the movement, is it possible that the movement itself, the feeling of wanting to do anything that you felt was important, that perhaps that moved you a good deal? Because the fact remains that you led a movement against overwhelming pressures that stemmed back for centuries. And in doing so, according to your autobiography, you even left your first husband. And you wrote this to a friend. Mrs. Sanger, you said, where is the man to give me what the movement gives in joy and interest and freedom? Now, what was this joy, this freedom that you craved? Well, I don't remember that letter that was written, but I think that it was not a question of, uh, of marriage at all. 
there was a, a certain satisfaction in uh, doing something that was going to alleviate the sufferings of women in particular, and I was quite a feminist at the time. Mm -hmm, and uh, Yes, and uh, uh, I naturally didn't want to see women take all the suffering of childbearing and of pregnancies. So it was a pleasure in a sense to think that you were striking uh, at an archaic law, which it was, mm -hmm. put it on the statute books by Anthony Comstock some years ago, and uh, no one had stood up against it, no one had, had uh, tried to, uh, uh, to change the laws. And at that time, not even a doctor had a right to use the United States mails and common carriers for books, for learning, for anything that he had to do with this question. It was considered obscene. The whole question was obscene, considered obscene. Mrs. Sanger, you have helped to spread the birth control movement not only here in the United States, but in Europe and the Orient as well. Why? Why is birth control of such vital importance internationally? Is it just to save women's suffering? Is that the only reason in your mind? Well, not entirely. The population question is a great concern today, and the, the rate at which uh, the birth births come in to the, we're saving them now, at one time when children died, they didn't have the food. Mm -hmm. uh, today our population all over the world is getting certainly better consideration and better conditions than they had at the time that I was there. I went to every country because I was invited and uh, I didn't spread go into the country myself. I was invited to go to Japan and uh, uh, to speak there, have eight lectures on the question of birth control and peace. Well, do you believe that birth control is essential if we want to keep millions of people across the world from starving? Is that your thesis? Say it again. Do you feel that birth control is essential to keep millions of people across the world from starving? Well, I think that birth control, if you keep your population uh, more or less static until you pick up your resources, Certainly, you'll keep them and prevent their starving. Well, what's more important, birth control or picking up the resources? Well, picking up the resources, is, there's just a limit to that, too. There's just so much to take Japan. And she cannot feed. They've had the best experts come there when MacArthur was there. Mm -hmm. and the best experts say that they have 20 million more people and they can feed. She's got to be fed outside. And some, in some way, mm -hmm. she's got to have that kind of help if she's going to keep them. Fighting. But certainly around the world, there is, uh, there is potential agricultural land that is not being properly used now. Just this past year, on May 21st, the New York Times summarized an important study of the world's food resources, made by Professor James Bonner of the California Institute of Technology. Professor Bonner says the world is not using one billion acres of potential agricultural land, and he adds that if this land were used, and present agricultural land were improved, the entire world could be fed adequately, even if the population increased by one-third in the next 50 years. Oh, Mr. Wallace, you hear so many fantastic things of what can happen, what may happen. Uh, this and that, I've heard it for the last 30 years, anyway, to what could be done, but it's never done. And the thing is, what is it now? What have we got today? A very distinguished woman spoke to me about Arizona. And she said, I wish you wouldn't talk about population. She said, all the population of the United States could be put in one state. And I said, what state? She said, Arizona. I said, did you ever hear of Caliche? She didn't know that I was talking about a delicatessen or, or what. I said, well, Caliche 
is harder than any rock. And it is about three inches below the ground where it looks beautiful. It looks as if you could have food. It looks as if you could have corn or wheat or cotton. But as a matter of fact, you have to dynamite caliche out of the ground in order to have a little shrub, have you know, a little grass mm -hmm. or a few flowers. So many problems that, uh, when it comes to that. And the demographers, I never heard of anyone that would agree with that, that we could have another uh, in the world. Another third. Another third. Another third. Well, you say that originally the opposition was in all law, and you have to fight against that. Today, your opposition stems mainly from where? From what source? Well, I think that the opposition uh, is mainly from the hierarchy of the Roman Catholic Church. Of the Church. Well, now hierarchy. Of the hierarchy of the Church. You feel that the, the parishioners themselves, the lay people in the Church, are not against birth I feel they come to all of our clinics just the same as their non-Catholics do. Exactly the same. Well, let's look at the official Catholic position, opposition to birth control. I read now from a Church publication called The Question Box. In forbidding birth control, it says the following. It says, the immediate purpose and primary end of marriage is the begetting of children. When the marital relation is so used as to render the fulfillment of its purposes impossible, that is by birth control, it is used unethically and unnaturally. Now, what's wrong with that position? Well, it's very wrong. It's not normal. It's not, uh, it, it has a wrong attitude toward marriage, toward love the relationships between men and women. Well, the natural law, they say, is that first of all, the primary function of sex in marriage is to beget children. Well, Don't, do you disagree with that? I disagree with that 100%. Okay, I'm going to pause just for a second. I want to interject some stuff here because she's already, she said, oh, I disagree with that. Okay, let's take a look at what scripture says. This is in leading up. Well, actually, this is from the beginning. This is from the beginning. Okay. Genesis chapter one. I mean, we've, we've read this so many times and Genesis chapter two, Genesis chapter one, verse 26. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Right. That's God's intention for man. It's still that intention, even in a fallen world. These things are not to be above us. They're not to be considered greater than us. We are to take dominion over them. Okay? So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, what? Be fruitful and multiply. Now, how are they going to do that? Well, that's what that sexual relationship inside marriage is about. It's not to be outside of it. We're to save ourselves for the one that we give our vows to, that we're going to spend our life with. You'd be fruitful and multiply. Again, this has never been rescinded. Okay? Never been rescinded. That means the command is still to us today. We're to be fruitful and multiply. Plenish the earth. Subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. That's God's command. Notice it. God said unto them this. This is what his command was. 
And God said, Behold, I've given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of the earth, and every tree in which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat, to every beast of the earth, and every fowl of the air, and everything that creepeth upon the earth wherein there is life. I have given every green herb for meat. And it was so. And God saw everything that he made, everything that he made, everything that he made, and behold, it was all very good. Okay? And in Genesis chapter 2, he brings them together. Because, well, what happened? God didn't think it was good that Adam was all by himself. Verse 18 of chapter 2, and God and the Lord God, he kind of reiterates what he's going on here, and then how he creates the woman. <clears throat> it's not good that man should be alone. I'll make and help meet for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found and help me for him. And the Lord God caused, excuse me, a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh that instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman. And brought her into the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. So there you've got the there, there you have the entire context of what God did from the beginning. He gave them a command. They, follow, they were to follow that. They failed in that capacity by disobeying God. And then we move over after the fall. And I, you know, it's sad to say, but children, listen. Let's just put it this way. God did create sex to be enjoyable. If he, I mean, if he didn't, we'd probably never do it. But he gave rules for that in the confines of marriage. And the result of that, naturally, she wants to talk about natural and this, that, and the other, naturally is that there are children that result from that. It demonstrates the unity of the man and the woman. Demonstrates their oneness. Um, but I get these goofy people that want to talk about, oh, the serpent was having sex with Eve. What? Have you not read your Bible? Genesis chapter 4. And, and they talk about this is where Cain came from. And Adam, not Satan, not the serpent, knew Eve, his wife. That's the biblical sense of knowing. That's the sexual relationship in that marriage. And she conceived. And bare Cain and said, I've gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So <clears throat> they were in the process here, at least after the fall, of following what God had said in being fruitful and multiply. And when you figure that Adam, I mean, you got to get this in your mind. You got to figure when Adam lived more than 900 years. Stop and think about that a second. In our household, my wife and I, we've had 10 kids. Okay. Not been married quite 30 years. Not quite, not quite there. In that time, 
imagine how many children and grandchildren and great grandchildren and their children, all this would happen within the span of, say, 100 or 200 years, much less 900. Stop and think about that a second. By the time Adam died, there could have literally been a million people or more on the earth by the time he died. Just in a progression of multiplication. And that's what God meant. He didn't mean for a husband and wife to come together and just have, you know, restrict children. That, in fact, the whole premise was that there was a Savior coming. He was going to come through the line of the woman. Not the line of the man, but the line of the woman. Malachi 2.15 tells us this. <clears throat> and did he not make one? Yet had he the residue of the Spirit, and wherefore one? That he might seek a godly seed. And he's talking about don't not dealing with the wife of thy youth treacherously. Right? Yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. Verse 14. Therefore, take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. That's the end of verse 15. God wants a godly seed. Why? It was passing through to the one who would be the Lord Jesus. Now, Jesus didn't come from man. He really didn't come from woman. The Bible says that God made a body for Christ in Mary. He had made a body for him. So God was all about children. So what Sanger, when, when Sanger kind of gives that, no, this is, of course, this isn't against the church. I, I would never do something like that. I believe that I, you know, natural, blah, 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 blah. Again, she is at war with God. She has deceived herself. And she was deceiving other women. And sadly, what they don't tell you in this interview, many women died from taking her abortifacients. And that's what we should be calling birth control. It's not birth control. It's abortifacients. It's means to kill children that are conceived in the womb. It's the plan B before there was one. It's the stuff now. That's what it is. That's what it's for. Right? Here's the rest, here's the rest of the interview. Your feeling is what then? My feeling is love and the attraction between many women. In many cases, the very finest relationship has nothing to do with bearing a child. It's secondary. Many, many times we know that. You see your birth rate, you talk to people who have very happy marriages and they're not having babies every year. Yes, I think that's a celibate attitude. Sure. A celibate attitude, but you agree that Catholicism, according to the tenets of Catholicism, they rule that birth control violates not only the church's position, it isn't the church's position, but they say that it violates a natural law, as I have just explained. Therefore, birth control is a sin, no matter who practices it. Now, the violation of the natural law, according, you certainly can take no issue with the natural law as the hierarchy of the uh, Catholic Church regards it. Well, I certainly do take issue with it. I think it's untrue, and I think it's unnatural. Well, let me ask you... I think bears it out that it's an unnatural attitude to take, and how do they know? I mean, after all, they're celibates. They don't know love. They don't know marriage. They know nothing about bringing up children or any of the marriage problems of life. And yet they speak to people as if they were God. Okay, 
Good. Look, she's making, I'm going to say she made a good point right here. Because the Catholic Church has forced on its priest the unbiblical idea that of forcing celibacy. When you go to the New Testament, we've done this before, 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, the qualifications for a bishop or an elder or an overseer in the church is this, their character, and how is their character determined? In the home. And how is it determined in the home? They're the husband of one wife, and they have believing children. They demonstrate their character by how they, how they what they've done in their home. And she's exactly right. These men are up there telling people, and sadly in Protestant churches, you've got guys that do this too. You've got single guys as pastors, overseers, elders. And they'll make excuses for, well, they're a good teacher. Well, they're the... Nope. The scripture says they need to be, they need to demonstrate their character and they do it in the home with a wife and children. You don't have it. I don't think the Bible gives authorization for you to be in that place of authority. And so she's got a point. And these guys have done that. Doesn't mean that they don't know love. <clears throat> We're called to love all men. But they don't know this. And so she's got a point to point out with the Roman Catholic Church. And you'll see they're at the forefront right here. They're at the forefront of this. And uh, here's this is where her attacks are coming as such. Let me, let me ask you this question. Suppose a healthy, a well-to-do couple decide for some reason never to have children, use birth control all their lives. Would you say that your methods are being misused, Mrs. Sanger? Now, if they were intelligent people and they had some reason for thinking of children as a responsibility or the, some disease that they might have that they wouldn't like to pass on to a child, and I think it would be a very uh, unselfish attitude for them to take if there is a disease. No, I say a healthy, well-to-do couple. A couple that just doesn't want children, and for that reason, they use birth control all the way. Well, Do you think that that is a, is a misuse of your methods? I don't think it's a misuse. I think if, if they're intelligent adults, but they must know what they want. They must manage their lives themselves. And certainly there's nothing birth control. Then there isn't other things that you might deny yourself. I asked you your motives a little while ago at the beginning of the program, your motives in working for birth control as hard as you have for as many years as you have. You reject the principal Catholic argument against birth control as being totally invalid. What do you think is the reason, the motive of the church in forbidding birth control? You'd have to ask a Catholic that. I couldn't say what their motive is. Well, I, you, you couldn't say officially what their motive is, but you certainly must have an opinion about it, Mr. Sanger. Well, I'm, I, I don't have much to do with, with uh, the hierarchy. Well, and I know that the people that come to our organization and want to have the same methods, or whatever it is that one can have, to prevent a pregnancy, that those women will say to us, I, if we ask their religion very often, and they say, I am a Catholic, I've raised the Catholic Church, and this, my church is wrong on this. This is the one thing. I will never be anything else, but my church is wrong and this one thing. And that is said over and over and over again. So what the motive is. But you won't hazard a guess. I don't care to. Thank you. May I ask you why? Now, I know that in private and uh, in actually in public discussions, I think prior to this time, you have been willing to state your understanding of what the motives of the church are. And now you would uh, you would rather remain silent. May I ask mm. you why? Simply because I don't think that uh, uh, 
the church has changed in its attitude. Some of the hierarchy have changed their attitude. You can't say the same thing that you might have said a year ago or two years ago as to your belief or as to your opinion. Mm -hmm. and, and then have you heard it said that the reason that the church is against birth control is because they want more Catholics? I've read it. Do you believe it? Well, they, they, if you read their papers where they t uh, point out Boston, that that's what has happened in Boston and Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. They have simply outbred the Protestants and they're, they've, in Boston and Massachusetts, they have control. I've read that in their own papers. Okay, all right, did you hear that? This is decades ago. They wanted to outbreed the Protestants. Now, my friend who shows up in the chat on Rumble, uh, Romney Wordsworth, uh, he and I were talking, he made mention of a book I would, I'd been reading, written by a guy in the 1800s, warning of the Roman Catholics in Austria trying to undermine our liberty. Why? Because Rome sees, it looks at society in the same way Islam does. It understands <clears throat> their worldview has to have both spiritual things and political implications tied with them. And they're militant over it. And the Protestant church used to have that. We've lost that. We've been effeminized. For the most part, the Protestant church here in America has been effeminized. And it won't stand anymore. And so she's kind of pointing out some of these things here, uh, even though she's wrong in her behavior, in her mindset, and all this other. But you see, Mike, this is when, I got to tell you, he was actually pretty good at what he was doing. She won't answer him. Now he's drawing it out of her, and she's really telling you what's going on there. And again, this isn't to prop up the Roman Catholic Church. It should be exposing them as anti-biblical. I mean, after the guy, after all, the guy at the top of the hierarchy there takes the name Vicarious Christi, the vicar of Christ. Literally, he is antichrist. He is putting himself in the place of Christ as being opposed to him as well. So keep that in mind as you're as you're listening to what she says here. Of course, the church's answer, the church's answer, and I read now from a pamphlet published by the Redemptist, uh, Redemptorist Fathers in Missouri, says as follows. It says that point of view about wanting more Catholics is nonsense. Quote, the Catholic Church does not command Catholic husbands and wives to have even one child. The church considers it more than normally meritorious for them to have no children if they mutually and perpetually give up the use of the marriage right for the love of God. All right. All I don't right. what they what they do. So they, I think that the question in my mind is that they they do and uh, order their own people to do as they wish. But I object to their uh, having the same rules for people who are not the same religion. Well, they believe, you see, that it is a natural law, not a Catholic law, but a natural law, and therefore a sin not just for Catholics, but a sin for all peoples. And I think that there are other religious groups that very, very orthodox Jews feel the same way about birth control. Uh, let's look at another argument against birth control, Mrs. Sanger, published in Red Book magazine in March of 1956. It says birth control is a devastating social force which tends to weaken the moral fiber of the community. Immunity from parenthood encourages promiscuity. 
particularly when unmarried persons can so easily avail themselves of the devices. Do you doubt that? I doubt it. You do? Certainly. Then let me read from a news story in the Philadelphia Daily News on June 10th, 1942. The story quotes you as urging the Women's Army Auxiliary Corps to give its members, quote, preventive measures against pregnancy, end quote. And you add, quote, abortion and illegitimacy are bound to result if the government doesn't recognize human nature, end quote. In other words, you were not advocating uh, Christian morality, but rather ways for single women to avoid bearing illegitimate children. Where was this taken from? Philadelphia Daily News, June 10, 1942, direct quote from Margaret Sanger. I doubt it. I don't believe I ever made such a remark. <laughs> well. But she holds to that in your ideology. Which you cannot disavow, you wrote the following about sexologist Havelock Ellis. You said he's been able to clarify the question of sex and free it from the smudginess connected with it from the beginning of Christianity. Now, why, what do you mean by the smudginess connected with sex, and why do you blame it on Christianity? Well, there's many reasons, of course, to say that we have more records of it than the dawn of Christianity. And I think I was speaking of Havelock Ellis as having clarified the question of homosexuals, making the thing uh, not exactly a perverted thing, but a thing that a person is born with, different kinds of eyes, different kinds of, of structure, and so forth. But he didn't make all homosexuals uh, perverts. I felt that he helped clarify that to the medical profession and to the scientists of the world, as perhaps one of the first ones to, did, to do that. That was one of the things I meant in that. Mr. Sanger, do you uh, disagree that Catholics, or do you, do you feel that Catholics should not have a right to have a say when a city administration contemplates spending their tax dollars on birth control or the dissemination of birth control information, something that Catholics believe is sinful. If they have a right to say... What Do you feel that they don't have a right to have a say when a city administration contemplates spending their dollars, tax dollars, on birth control? For instance, here in New York, Catholics comprise about 45% of our population. They're the largest single group. Well, don't you think they should have the democratic right to lobby against having their money spent, their tax money spent for something that they consider evil. Okay. All right. We're going to pause here. We're going to close out the show. Um, <clears throat> if you want to follow the rest of this, beforeitsnews.com, top of the page, sonsoflibertymedia.com, top of the page, or on Rumble, Sons of Liberty Radio Live. We're going to play the rest of this. It's got about maybe 10 minutes or so, nine or 10 minutes. And uh, we're going to throw in a couple more scriptures here to point out that what this lady's talking about, so far off base, it's ridiculous. Probably be with you at three. We'll see you in 6 a.m. Lord willing. Adios. All right. I want to welcome everybody coming over from Red State Talk Radio. And uh, just to remind you before we get back to this, here's what Karl Marx said. <clears throat> Excuse me. Abolition of the family. Even the most radical flare up at this infamous proposal of the communists. And he said of his opponents this. On what foundation is the present family, the bourgeois family, based? On capital, on private gain, in its completely developed form, this family exists only among the bourgeois. These families will vanish as a matter of course when its complement vanishes, and both will vanish with the vanishing 
capital. He also believed that you ought to get rid of the eternal truths. This is Margaret Sanger. She doesn't want to hold... Look, not everything that the Catholic Church teaches is completely wrong. Okay? Their stand against abortifacients is right. It's a biblical stand. But why is that? Well, we're going to see after we finish with Margaret here, because the scripture is clear. It never, ever says to restrict your children. God's command was clear from the beginning. Be fruitful and multiply. We're going to see where God blesses that. And look, I'm not telling you that you have to go out and have a bunch of children to be obedient to God. I'm simply saying, let God determine that. And if he gives you one child, if he gives you no children, if he gives you five, if he gives you 20, be content with that. But let him do it. Live your life and be as obedient to him as you can be and leave the results up to him. That's all I'm saying. I'm not one of these guys that tells you, you got to have a whole bunch of children and you're not being obedient. That's just silly. But you need to leave it open to the Lord. Here's the rest of this. I suppose they have a right. And they certainly do it. But so have the others. They're only 45% of the population. That's, that is not the, the majority. But they have a right to get up and... Certainly. Mm-hmm. I have no objection to their having them say that. But I think we could have the same right. I say we. I mean non-Catholics. Well, of course, this is a little bit at variance with something that you told our reporter earlier this week. You said earlier this week, it's not only wrong, it should be made illegal for any religious group to prohibit dissemination of birth control, even among its own members. In other words, you would like to see the government legislate uh, religious beliefs in a certain sense. Where these strange things come to uh, that I said them is what I should like to know when. Well, now, uh, you know that my reporter spent a good deal of time with you. He's... uh, very accurate young man. Yes. And this so is a I. this is a this is a specific quote. Well, I don't think I accept it quite that way. What are your religious beliefs, Mrs. Sanger? Do you believe in a God in the sense of a divine being who rewards or punishes people after death? Well, I have a different attitude about uh, the divine. I feel that we have divinity within us, and the more we express the good part of our lives. And the more the divine within us uh, expresses itself. Uh, I suppose I would call myself Episcopalian by, uh, by religion. And there's uh, many other. If you travel around the world, you get quite a bit of the feeling of uh, all, all religions have so much alike in the divine part of our own being. Mm-hmm. And I suppose you just couldn't put that in a book or you couldn't put it into a, uh, a phrase or a sentence. Do you believe in sin? When I say believe, I don't mean and believe in committing sin. Do you believe there is such a thing as a as sin? Well, I think the greatest sin in the world is bringing children into the world that have disease from their parents, that have no chance in the world to be a human being, practically. Delinquents, prisoners, all sorts of things just mark when they're born. That, to me, is the greatest sin that people can, can commit. But sin in the ordinary sense that we regard it, do you believe or do you not believe? Well, what? What would they be? Do you believe that infidelity is a sin? Well, I don't, I'm not going to specify what I think is a sin. I've stated what I think is the worst sin. The yes, sin. but then you asked me to say what, and I, and I said what, and, I, and, and uh, you refused to answer me? 
Oh, yes. I don't know about infidelities. It has That's how the devil talks right there. It, what the person's own belief is. You mm. can't, I couldn't generalize um, any of those things as, as being sin. Murder is a sin. Well, I naturally think murder is a, is a sin or not. It's a terrible act. In just a moment, Mrs. Sanger, I'd like to ask you about another social problem here in the United States, divorce. Nearly 400,000 couples get divorced in this country each year. And I'd like to get your views on the cause and possible prevention of this problem. We'll get Mrs. Sanger's answer to that question in just 60 seconds. One look at this cabin cruiser, and you know it's new. One puff of this cigarette, and you know it's new. It's Philip Morris, and you know by the taste it's like it. Something else smokers like. All right, I'm moving it's past practical. the Philip Morris this time. <laughs> Good grief. Now they actually put Box one in. probably the best natural smoke you ever taste. All right. Now then, Mrs. Sanger, there are nearly 400,000 divorces or annulments in America each year. What, and this is hard to do in the short time, of course, that we have, what would you recommend to cut down our divorce rate? Well, as a, a great many of our clinics are including in the work uh, that they do in birth control clinics, having marriage counseling. So when the woman or the man come and complain of their marriage on the skids, mm -hmm. we invite them to come and have special talks with some of our psychiatrists or others who are making a study of that all over the country, mm -hmm. where we have about 500 clinics. They almost all include uh, marriage counseling and marriage erection. May I, may I ask you this? Could it be that women in the United States have become too independent, that they've followed the lead of women like Margaret Sanger by neglecting family life for a career? Let me quote from your biography describing your second marriage to Noah Slee. Quote, in New York, Mrs. Sanger maintained every clause of their compact of independence. They had separate apartments. They telephoned each other for dinner or theater engagements or passed notes back and forth. Would you call this a sound formula for marriage, Mrs. Sanger? Uh, different people, yes. It certainly was for me and for my husband. We had a very happy marriage consulting. He had different friends than I had. And uh, I don't believe in forcing, uh, well, we were two adults, mm -hmm. and uh, forcing your friends on uh, another person who may have an entirely different outlook. It worked out very well. I know that it did. You have two sons. One final question. You have two sons. Mm -hmm. How many children have they? Would you like to see them? I would indeed. <laughs> <That's wrong. laughs> How many children? That's six in this family? Five boys and a girl in that family. And in the other family? Two girls. Two girls. Mm -hmm. Ms. Sanger, I thank you so much for taking time out and coming and talking to us here this evening. And Mr. Wells, I've never smoked, but I'm going to begin to take up smoking and use Philip Morris as my, as my the cigarette for me to take. <laughs> well, I thank you oh, very good much. <laughs> good grief. All right, you get the point there. By the way, Tom, you sound just like a couple other guys in there, word for word. You're not fooling anybody as to who you are. Yep, you're not fooling anybody. Tom is trying to say that I that somehow I missed passage in 1 Corinthians 7 where Paul said it's good for man not to marry. He did. Why did he say that? He said it was good if men could do that. In fact, Jesus said such a thing. He said some have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom. That's not the point. But that's not the majority of men, and everybody knows it. Everybody knows it except, I guess, Tom here. 
Uh, and Tom appears to be too much of a coward to call in. And I, yeah, I'm going to call you a coward because you won't call in. You've got the number there, 803-619-9855. And I'd love to have a conversation with you. I didn't miss anything, Tom. I didn't miss anything. I gave you what the scripture gives as the overall for all men. Are there men that are like that? Yeah. When you ask about David, was David an overseer? Was he a bishop? Was he an elder in the New Testament sent there? No, he wasn't. He was a king, but he could never be one of those. Was Solomon one of those? He was a king, but he could never be one of those. And why? Because of his character. Because of how he lived. So if you're going to ask questions, if you're going to pitch stuff out, make sure that you know what you're talking about. And it's amazing for many, yeah, he had many wives. He'll never be, he would never be a, uh, a bishop. He'd never be an elder. He'd be a king, but he wouldn't be that. Solomon too. See, see how Tom plays this little sophistry? It's kind of like a couple other guys who've popped in. One of them was in earlier this morning. I notice he hasn't, he hasn't commented. Hmm, it's interesting. Yeah, nobody denied that, Tom. Be a man, call in. 1-803-619-9855. We'll have it back and forth. We will. It'll be, it'll be cordial. Speaking of which, you got to hear Sanger from her own mouth. You got to see her facial reactions. Many of you were surprised here at what's going. I like being challenged. Call in 803-619-9855. You don't like stepping up to the mic. That's what you don't like. You like hiding behind false names and, uh, little innuendos that you make there. Um, did I censor you, Tom? You're still yapping in there, but you can't call in. Anyway, this is one going to the issue of the children. And again, I told you we read this with all of our kids as soon as they were born. Psalm 127. Yeah, no phone, but you're on the computer there or you're on your phone. I'll bet you're on your phone watching probably. But if you're on your computer, you always get Google Voice or Skype. There's all kinds of things you can do there, Tom. I'll bet you call people all the time. Coward. Psalm 127. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. For so he giveth his beloved sleep. Lo, children are in heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hands of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. And then it continues on into chapter 128. Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord, that walketh in his ways. For thou shalt eat the labor of thy hands. Happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of thine, thine house. Thy children, like olive plants, round about thy table. Behold, that thus shall the man be blessed that feareth the Lord. The Lord shall bless thee out of Zion, and thou shalt see the good of Jerusalem all the days of thy life. And then he gives this promise, which I told my daughter, I said, you know, remind my grandson and the one who comes, who's we're waiting on to come, <laughs> remind them they are promises from God. Verse 6, chapter 128. Yea, 
Thou shalt see thy children's children and peace upon Israel, which we know are the people of God. Now, why is all that important? Why is all that important? Well, this is how the human race carries on. Now, if we were to follow by example what, say, the Roman Catholic Church puts up, or maybe even what Tom is trying to put up in front of people, that we should all just be single, how many generations are going to last? Because the Catholic Church puts up that they are to be celibate, right? And I made mention of the um, uh, the book yesterday, A Woman Rides the Beast by Dave Hunt, and the immorality of the, uh, the immorality that goes on. Hang on just a second. We got a caller calling in. And uh, let me bring him up here real quick. Caller, are you there? Yes, I'm not calling to contend, Tim. I'm calling to give thanks to God that you're doing fine. This is your dispensational brother, Jeff, from Radio hey, America, Jeff. USA. How are you, brother? I'm, I'm taking a day at a time. I'm just, I'm glad that you're <laughs> back on. And uh, I knew uh, I went all all the platforms asking for prayers, and then uh, I caught part of your show. I think it was yesterday that you found uh, what do you, that stuff um, that hydro clean. Oh, the chlorine dioxide. Yeah, that was it. That was the prayer answer. I got. A light came in my mind, you know, instead of nobody home, I was home. So if that light came on, that, that's the prayer answered. Amen. Amen. Yeah, I, I had the stuff up here. I hadn't taken it in a while, so I've kind of left myself open to a lot of stuff. And some people tried to say, oh, you know, it's destroying this, that, and the other. No, it's not. Uh, but it, it does go in and it does rid your body of any kind of parasites and any kind of bad bacteria. It leaves behind the good bacteria because it brings oxygen into the body. And I got to tell you, uh, eight drops of that the first time, within an hour, I started to feel lots better. I had it several times. And um, we used to use it prophylactically. That's why I got to mix it back up so we can get it back in our water. Uh, because apparently this, whatever it was, hit my wife and kids and it hit them while they were away from the house. So uh, in any case, I'm glad it's over, but I'm having to get some strength, but it's good to hear from you. Well, that's, uh, that, of course, a uh, big farmer in the medical industrial complex don't, uh, don't like this deal, you know, cause they're not making any, they're big bucks off this stuff. Well, sure, sure. But they are making a lot of money off of this birth control that Margaret Sanger pushed from the beginning. Well, unfortunately for Margaret Sanger, she knows better tonight, unfortunately. Well, she does now. Yes. Yes. Yep. But, um, all those, um, um, unborn babies, uh, when the final judgment comes, that they're going to be testifying, and she's her punishment's going to be so severe, it's there's the human mind can't even comprehend. Yeah, yeah, it's a frightening thing to fall into the hands of the living God, isn't it? You got that right. Amen. Amen, Amen brother. All right, Tim, um, hang in there, and uh, I'll be catching catch your shows when I when I'm around. Okay, thanks, Jeff. All right, Tim. Bye bye. Bye-bye. All right, there goes Jeff, and uh, Jeff, thank you for the call. Appreciate that very much. Um, one of the other things is, is that why was there a need to continue to push for procreation? Again, the existence of the human race. That's number one. But even in the Old Testament, it was to push towards the one who was to come. Look at Galatians chapter three. We've, I mean, we've been down this so many times, and I love the book of Galatians. 
because it shows us exactly who the true Jew is. It has nothing to do with your skin color, your pedigree, or any of that. Okay? Nothing to do with it. Um, verse, or, excuse me, chapter 3, and uh, we'll look here at verse 8. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham. You know, I told, I told a, a guy I used to work for, he was a Southern Baptist preacher. Um, let's see. He, 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 I told him, I said, you, you knew that, that the gospel was preached to Abraham. We're not, we're not, we don't have different gospels all along. And he goes, no, he didn't. And I read him this passage, and he continued to deny it. And I said, it says it right there. Preach before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. For as many as are the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them, but that no man is justified by the law. You know, we hold up the law, we hold up justice and things like that, but we don't seek our just our justification in the law. Our justification is in the righteousness of Christ. As David said, and Paul echoed him, blessed is the man whom the Lord does not impute sin. On the contrary, blessed is the man whose sin has been imputed to Christ and whom Christ's righteousness has been imputed to them. And then he says this, For the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Hmm. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, right? The violations of the law, sin, which Margaret Sanger didn't want to specified, but the scriptures are pretty clear. She claimed to be Episcopalian. She should have known it. 1 John 3, 4, sin is transgression of the law, not the U.S. Constitution, not state laws and this, that, and the other, but God's law, his commands that he gave, his statutes, being made a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. How did the blessing come to the Gentiles? It came through the one who was hung on a tree, Christ himself, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men. Though it be but a man's covenant, yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereto. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. Remember, he said it, it's to you and to your seed after you. And then Paul clarifies, he wants you to see what was going on there. Because so many people take it in this physical sense. And again, this is why Jesus would look to the Pharisees and he would call them, he would say, they would say, Abraham is our father. And he goes, well, if Abraham was your father, you'd do the works of Abraham. But you're seeking to kill me. Abraham rejoiced to see my day. You're trying to kill me. No, no, no. You guys got it wrong. Your father's the devil. 
Now, I know where people go with that. They do the thing about like, you know, having things out of context. Go read Ephesians chapter two. All of us were considered children of the devil before Christ. All of us, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And then we were adopted. Read Ephesians one. You can't adopt something if it, if it hadn't, if it's, if it's already yours. But we were adopted into the family, out of the world, out from under the father of lies. And we've been brought in and we've been given a new, a new family and a new father, the father of light. So what does Paul say? He saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. You see, the point is, is this. When children are spoken of, when the sexual relationship is spoken of, when marriage is spoken of, there's, there's multifacets to it. Paul tells us in Ephesians that the marriage, the husband and the wife are a picture of who? Christ and his church. And we're called to love our wives as Jesus loved his church. Jesus not only died and gave himself for the church, but he nurtured the church. He was patient with the church. He corrected the church. He taught the church. He prayed for the church. That's how he gave. It wasn't just in the end that he gave himself. He gave himself his whole life for the church. How did that happen? Well, people had to be obedient from the beginning to be fruitful and multiply. And the point is, is that Christ takes dominion. He does what the first Adam didn't do. And he has all authority in heaven and on earth. Matthew 8, uh, 28, 18 through 20. All authority in heaven and on earth. This is why we can, this is why the disciples could go out in the midst of a world and make other disciples, teaching them to observe all that Christ commanded. It's why we still have the same duty that we do today, teaching our children, teaching others. And what Margaret Sanger says is, no, 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 we, we don't need all that. We need just sex for entertainment, enjoyment, pleasure, whatever. And if you don't do this, then it's just going to make a whole bunch of problems, this, that, and the other. Well, listen, it's not just allowing sex, it's taking lives. Seriously, go ask your doctor, go ask your midwives, any of those, ask them to be honest with you. Say, look, if I take uh, birth control pills, is there a chance that I'm going to end up taking the life of a child my husband and I or my wife and I might conceive? Go ask them, because I've done it in the hospital, because they bug me about it every time we had children. 
And every one of them had to kind of look down at me because they knew what was going on. And they said, well, yeah, that can happen. Of course it can happen because women get pregnant on them too, don't they? They don't always work. But I can tell you this. One of the things that you find is um, in the scripture is that the one really in control of the womb is the Lord. If you, re- if you recall, and I didn't pull this one, this particular passage up, but if you recall, Rachel had came to, um, I think it's, I want to say it's in Genesis 29, but Rachel came to Jacob. And she said, give me children, because she was kind of jealous, right? Because Rachel's the one that's supposed to be loved, and here's, here's her, her sister Leah. She's having all the kids. Give me children. And Jacob say, turns to her, and he says something very profound. He says, what are you looking at me for? God is the one that opens and closes the womb. Now, I want to ask you something. Has that changed? No, nah, hadn't changed at all. Hadn't changed at all. And yet, here's this woman doing this. This woman and her devilish doctrines here that are all sinful are built on lies. And they're still being promoted with a greater voice through things like Planned Parenthood, through the U.S. government, through many of your state governments, through the World Health Organization, through the United Nations, These are, these are doctrines of demons. They're to rid you of your inheritance. Didn't you hear in Psalm 127? They're a reward, an inheritance from the Lord. It's amazing to me. People look for answers. So they look to a politician. They look to the voting booth. As soon as they can get in the voting booth and things, that's not going to solve it. But I'll tell you what, you catch exactly what she said there about the Catholics, who are just like the Jews, who are just like the Islamists, who are just like others, who believe in have large families. Why? They'll just outbreed you. And the American church has fallen for the lie of Margaret Sanger. Oh, they oppose, they say they oppose abortion. They say that children are a blessing from the Lord. But then you go look in their families and what does it look like? Does it look like they believe that? Do they conduct themselves that way? Listen, if you've listened to those lies, it's time to repent, to stop listening to those lies and start obeying what God said. Let him control the family, the size of your family. If it's small, that's great. If it's large, that's great. Give glory to God for both of them. But let him determine it. Stop limiting the Holy One of Israel. That's all I'm saying. Because Margaret Sanger's message is about self. The whole time, I, 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 I. It's all about self. Self Self-satisfaction, self-pleasure, self-indulgence. What does Scripture tell us? What John the Baptist said, I must decrease so that he can increase. 
Isn't that supposed to be the mindset that we have? The same mind that was in Christ when he was on the earth? One of humility, wanting, one of wanting to decrease so that he might increase? Yep, that's what we're supposed to be. But I thought you guys would find that interesting this morning. I ran across that interview and apologize for the for the uh, cigarette ad there. But I but to me, it's kind of comical that even back then you had certain things that are, you know, put off and, and such. They were promoted right there on the television. Right, right there. Anyway, uh, I hope it's been a blessing to you. I hope that you can take and use some of this. And I hope if there's people out there who are buying the lies of Planned Parenthood, uh, whether it's through abortifacients or whether it's the actual just knowing that you're murdering a child in the womb, whether through beheading, dismemberment, it rivals anything out of Mexican cartels or Islamic jihadis, I can tell you that. You're doing it to the most innocent among us. I hope God grants some people repentance to see that they're at war with God, those who side with that kind of ideology. Bradley, be with you at 3. We'll see you in the morning, 6 a.m., bright and early. Talk to you then.